scripture reading this morning will be found in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Luke 13, 31 through 35. Should be able to be found on page 923 on the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it reads, On that very day some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent for her, or sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed, he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Good morning. It is so good to be standing here with you. I got back from a mission trip in Honduras uh, just last night, and I had a cheeseburger the size of my face, and it was wonderful. <laughs> but I'm ready uh, to, to encourage you with the Word of God today to talk about this thing that God has given us, the second greatest commandment. Uh, what a wonderful high calling. Uh, that is our congregation's emphasis on the second greatest commandment today. Now, you should love your neighbor as yourself every day, but we especially want to make sure we take the time to emphasize that at, at least one Sunday a year on a grand scale. And uh, the leadership's goal from, for the congregation is for every member and every family in the church here at Mount Juliet to have an opportunity to exercise the second greatest command together as, as one body. So in addition to all the ways you love your neighbor, we want you to have an opportunity along with all your brothers and sisters here to fulfill the second greatest command. We have two opportunities. Uh, the first opportunity is supply in July. You may have seen the green board, uh, giant green board back here by the water fountain and men's restrooms. And it is empty right now, but I'll explain that uh, in a second. This is our second annual run of Supply in July. And each year we coordinate with guidance departments from eight schools. And if we go to the next slide, I've got those eight elementary schools on there. And what we do is we strive uh, for, for us to buy or outfit a student in one of those schools with shoes, a full school dress code uh, outfit, a, all their school supplies specific to their school and grade and we want to give them a backpack and a sweater or jacket uh, it will cost about a hundred to hundred and fifty dollars per student unless you are amazing with coupons uh, or bargain shopping or or if you have that talent uh, you know let some people know share some secrets if you find some deals on backpacks and so forth but uh, the the deadline the instructions uh, the other information is included with that packet those packets will be available for pickup beginning after Bible class this morning now uh, I, I do that because I want to give you time during Bible class if you 
uh, do not have the finances or the time to shop for a kid, you can team up with other families. Uh, we've had two or three families take one student and somebody does the financing or they all pitch in. Uh, somebody does the shopping if one couple just wants to give money. So uh, take the time to uh, talk that through with your you know, husband, with your wife, your family, with another family. And uh, when you come out of Bible class, that green board will be full. We have 153 students enrolled in this ministry this year. And uh, so many of you did an amazing job last year showing love for your neighbor through that ministry. And I appreciate that. I'm excited about the uh, second annual chance to do that. Uh, also, we are going to have a second opportunity that will be presented to us tonight. Uh, we anticipate a wonderful evening of worship. And we anticipate hearing Lytle Thomas from Nashville Inner City Ministry. So I will not say more about that now, but I want to encourage you to come back tonight to hear more about what God is doing through the Nashville Inner City Ministry in a way that you can help with that. And again, everybody gets an opportunity to exercise uh, the second greatest commandment. So if you, don't, if you do not get a student for Supply in July, I want you to listen to what Lydell has to offer tonight and to uh, see how you can help with the Inner City Ministry. Our lesson today begins in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, if you want to go ahead and turn there, a very brief book, an extremely powerful story, extremely powerful uh, lesson that happens to Jonah. God gave Jonah a mission to go to Nineveh. Jonah flees and tries to catch a boat, and he puts out to sea. God pursues Jonah. Jonah is thrown into the sea by the sailors to appease uh, the, the storm, and then he is swallowed by a great fish. And that's just chapter 1. In the first nine verses of chapter 2 of Jonah, we get this amazingly beautiful prayer that reads like a psalm, and it comes from Jonah as he's in the belly of the great fish, and he acknowledges God's power to deliver him, and he acknowledges his own mess that he has made, and in, in chapter 2, verse 10, God delivers Jonah up onto dry land. Then we move into chapter 3. And within 10 verses in chapter 3, it's all it is, Jonah accepts God's mission to Nineveh. He preaches to them of coming destruction. All of Nineveh repents. The whole city, from the king down to the animals, uh, he, he commands everyone to mourn and repent. And God relents from wiping out the city in chapter 3, verse 10. Then the real story begins. Jonah is a lot like the story of the prodigal son. I, I wish that whoever named that story, that story would have called it the, the story of two sons. Uh, because really, Jonah is a story within a story, if you think about it. Uh, the second part of Jonah highlights this, this second and, and uh, powerful story in chapter 4, verse 1, through following. When Jonah saw that Nineveh avoided the destruction that God had promised upon it, he was greatly displeased. He was angry with God. And so Jonah gives this prayer to God in, in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 2. Uh, he prays to God and he exclaims that he has a problem with God. And here's the problem with God. To Jonah, God is too gracious and God is too merciful and he is slow to anger 
and he is a, he's abounding in steadfast love, and he relents from disaster. And this drives Jonah crazy. If you look at Jonah's response in, in verses 2 and 3, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I just picture a disgusted face on Jonah as he's saying these amazing attributes about God. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The attitude of gratitude Jonah possessed 12 verses earlier at the end of chapter 2 has vanished. God, did I already not tell you that you were good and that you would save this country that I hate? God, why won't you just leave me out of your plan? Will you not just leave me alone so I can be in my own country with my own stuff, with my own people? What's wrong with you and your mercy? How's that for a complaint against God? God responds with a powerful question in verse 4. He says, Jonah... Do you do well to be angry? And there are different kinds of anger. Jonah's anger is unacceptable. It is not God who is unacceptable. Jonah is angry for his own selfish reasons and not because of God's righteousness. And so Jonah comes up with his, uh, he comes up with his childish strategy in verse 5, if you pick up there. Jonah went out of the city and he sat east of the city and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah grabs some groceries and some supplies, and he goes outside the city, he builds a booth, and he sits there. And he pouts. And he waits to see what would become of Nineveh. In verse 6, God is not done working on Jonah. He creates a plant that gives Jonah shade. And Jonah rejoices exceedingly about this new benefit of shade in the structure that he has and the hospitality that God has shown him. But overnight, God sends a worm that destroys the plant. And again, Jonah wishes that he would die. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That is the story within the story. Jonah leaves us with a, a, a dissonance, a sour note, and an, an important question from God. Jonah leaves us with the picture of a prophet who is furious with God for saving a people and killing a plant. Jonah wanted to die because God saved an entire city. Jonah wanted to die again because God withered a plant. Wow. I want you to notice verse 5 of chapter 4. What in the world does Jonah have to do with the second greatest commandment and supply in July and Nashville inner city ministry and 12 questions? Verse 5 is Jonah's community outreach strategy. 
It is how Jonah chose to interact with God and with his neighbors. Everybody has a way of dealing with their neighbor, whether they consciously choose it or not. To Jonah, God's commandments were just that. They were commandments. There were things that Jonah had to do and he hated doing. Commandments that made Jonah so angry he would rather die than serve God on the earth. Jonah followed God, make no mistake about it, but he complained and made sure God knew about it every step of the way. All of a sudden, a book from the Old Testament that is thousands of years old becomes totally relevant for us. There are people today who follow God, but they are not happy about it. Commandments are burdens. To them, God is too gracious towards sinners, and that's a problem. And instead of seeing other people through the eyes of God, they take a different strategy. They grab their own supplies. They shut themselves off from emotional and spiritual availability. They leave the company of those they should be in to save. And they sit outside of the city in anticipation of judgment or, or anything other than mercy. And while they don't die, they don't exactly live to fulfill the second greatest commandment. Is there another way to perceive the world? Go to Luke chapter 13. We've had the, the posture, if you will, of Jonah. And I want to point out to the posture of a different scene, this time from the New Testament, this time from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is standing, uh, he's, he's in the middle of his ministry according to Luke's gospel and he knows what's going to happen to him and he knows that he is to be about his father's business. But to Jesus, God's commandments were not just commandments to be followed. God's commandments were, were Jesus' very own nature. He was about the Father's business. He didn't need commandments because his heart was right and his spirit and mission was one with the Father's. Pick up in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Jesus, you're being hunted down by Herod. And you know you're going to enter the city and be persecuted. Jesus, when we get the chance, we will yell for your death by the hands of the Romans. What are you going to do? Jesus stands outside the city, but with reasons different from Jonah. Jesus plans to enter the city. Jesus is angry and full of sorrow, even to the point of death as well, but for different reasons. Jesus plans to reveal God's will and not mask it. Jesus longs for what freely fell into Jonah's lap. Jesus plans to die, but not because he has a problem with God. He was full of a different emotion as he approached Jerusalem on that day. And that emotion is this. Longing 
Jesus longed to go where he would die. Have you ever longed for something? Maybe someone close to you has died and you long to see them again. Maybe you've been homesick, you've longed to see home. Maybe you've prayed at night for your children, for attributes or qualities or their maturity or their well-being. Maybe your child's been sick and you've longed to see them grow or be well or be safe. Listen, in the middle of certain crucifixion, hypocrites, persecution, injustice, Jesus longed for the souls of his neighbors in Jerusalem. Would I could gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Jesus longed for the souls of others so much that he took on suffering. What is it like for you to watch people suffer? And I'm not talking about just physical discomfort or pain. Does it bother you to watch people who do not know their right hand from their left hand morally out in the world waste away because they are without a solid anchor in what it means to love and to be loved? Does it anger you in a way that makes you long for judgment when you stare at the world? Or does it anger you in a way that makes you long for the delivery of a soul? If it doesn't bother us to watch our neighbors remain unloved and lost, we have bigger problems than finding the interpretation of an obscure passage of Scripture or wondering if we should have another ministry here, another retreat there, another bus here, another building over there, or anything. If it doesn't bother us, we have a heart problem, and we are stuck in Jonah chapter 4, and we have yet to graduate into the maturity that is in Christ in Luke chapter 13. Friends, does it make you uncomfortable? To watch others in your workplace live daily without God. Does it bother you to see sin reigning in the lives of people you go to school with? Family members, does it bother you to see your other family members, immediate or extended, lost or living without the love of God? Or are you complacent because that's the way it's always been for years and people cannot change? Teenagers, does it bother you that indifference or apathy or blatant disrespect for God's ways and word exist in your school? Does it bother you? Trust me, I understand the frustration that comes with the Christian life. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to have this amazing message of life and eternal life and, and to go to great lengths and creativity and energy and effort and trial and error to give that message to a soul that you care about and it costs your convenience and your time and your money and your resources and on top of that you are told no and on top of that you are met with sarcasm anger, hostility, indifference or nothing at all to bring an eternal message to another precious soul because you love them and to have it said back to your face, why are you judging me this way? Some people quit and they say, just like Jonah, I can't do this, God. I cannot do this. I would rather die or go outside the city. Why can I not just go back to my country? Why do I have to care when nobody else around me is caring, God? Why can I not just go outside the city? And God says, welcome to the gospel. And he says, welcome to my son. 
Welcome to my mission. Welcome to your cross. Welcome to the value of a soul. God says it is a burden that you must carry as a Christian, but this burden can set you free. Embrace the frustration and keep on going for eternity is at stake and so we keep going. Remember in your great work as a Christian, brothers and sisters, God has not called you to be successful, for that is God's alone. He has called you to be faithful, to be faithful in keeping His commandment to love Him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love because God first loved you. That is the business of a Christian. That is the business of Jesus Christ. You want to know something interesting? Jonah and Jesus both knew the first and second greatest commandments. It is not as if God came down and beamed into us the first and second greatest commandments after Jonah had lived. They had been around since Israel left Egypt. Jesus and Jonah both knew by heart the greatest commands of God. And what a difference it makes in their application. What are we doing what are we doing as a church to adopt Jesus' perspective on loving our neighbor? I hope that one word would describe our attitude towards our neighbor as a congregation. Longing. Longing to love. Longing to encourage. Longing to bear with patiently. Longing to be tender or tough with somebody. Not because we think it's time for God's grace or God's wrath according to our opinion. But because it is what would honor the first and second greatest commandments in God himself. I hope every day we are seeking to enter, enter the city, the community of Mount Juliet with a longing similar to that of Jesus Christ. Perhaps our lives could be open letters of of affirming God's love and renouncing all forms of Jonah chapter 4 advice. Last year in Supply in July, we helped just over 100 students. We walked mothers to cars while they cried with tears of thanksgiving. We gave clothing out of our clothing donation to parents who came there and, and asked for it and needed it. We played with kids while, while a few parents had some more questions. Later that fall, over 100 kids went to school with all their supplies and outfit the first day knowing somebody cared about them. Most importantly, the second greatest commandment was fulfilled and God's name was honored. Out of last year grew two new ministries and four additional deacons, community outreach, and a ministry devoted specifically to those eight schools by two other deacons. And those ministries are thriving now. And we, Mount Juliet Church of Christ, we are on a first-name basis with eight local elementary schools. Administrators from these schools call us with additional needs that families who move in have or anything else they can think of because they trust us. They trust you. More than that, I think of all the seed that is scattered abroad for the kingdom of God. More than that, I anticipate this year. This year we have 153 students in our program. 153 opportunities to honor God's name. 153 opportunities to reverse the world's message that the world is preaching to these kids. 153 opportunities to infringe upon the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of self. 153 opportunities to advance the kingdom of God and say, you have an open invitation to this kingdom. 
153 ways to say we long for you. You may not even care about us. You may not even know us. But we say this to you. We say this to our community. Would that we could gather you, befriend you, enjoy life with you on this earth further than that, enjoy life with you for an eternity. Would that we could love you as we love ourselves, as God has loved us. Brothers and sisters, let's refuse to build a booth outside of the city. Let's refuse to be angry with God because our definitions of what is fair and right do not match up with His. And let us long for the souls of our neighbors. Phil Wagner quoted Larry Snow on the mission trip this past week. And it's, it's been on my heart this week. Every heart with Christ is a missionary. Every heart without Christ is a mission field. When we think like that, the second greatest commandment is no longer a cold to-do list from the Lord. These schools are mission fields. And we are already there. What did I learn today? Number one, I am called to long for the souls of those in my community. This is what Jesus himself did, and I am a Christian, so I follow him. Number two, I must make a conscious decision to love my neighbor based on God's love, and then I must take action every day lest I become a Jonah chapter 4 follower. Number three, I have no higher calling as a follower of Christ than to love my God and my neighbor, period. And so with these contrasting images of Jonah and Jesus, and this command, this extremely high calling before us to love our neighbor as ourself, I ask you, where are you this morning? Are you, are you running from God? Are you angry with God? Are you amazed that God has delivered you from the latest thing, yet jealous that He also gives grace to those whom you don't like or whom are different from you or who you don't think deserve a second chance? Or are you outside Jerusalem, longing for the souls of those within, ready to enter, ready to suffer, ready to die to self, Whatever it takes, as many times as it takes, as long as it takes, are you ready to follow Jesus straight to your neighbor? Jesus has been there, and that is where he is now. Will we go where Jesus is? Your Jerusalem is, is waiting for you. It is your workplace. It is your household. It is your enemy. It is your community. It is our schools and our community. Do you long for the souls in those places to love them and to gather them unto Christ? Jesus says today, I hold before you the word of God as a minister and all I can do is offer you what God would say. He would say through the text, put down your sword, give up your control, 
Stop longing to go back to your country and your stuff. Stop being bitter over plants that last one night. Start longing for the souls of your neighbors to encounter God's love. Stop wanting to die over petty things. Start wanting to live for God to fulfill His commandments and honor Him. Pick up a towel and serve. Lay down your life. Turn the other cheek. Give to those who ask. Pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is no longer outside the city. He is inside of it and he calls out to us, join me in Jerusalem. I will meet you there. There we will have fellowship together in my sufferings and I will never forsake you. I don't know where you are today. And yet I do know where you are. You are in the company of God's church. You are in the company of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a part of that body. And if you're hurting, we are all hurting, whether we know it or not. And God's kingdom is hurting. And if we can help you out of Jonah chapter 4 or out of temptation or out of whatever it may be, let the church be the church. God has set you free for the sake of freedom. Just listen to me. Just be free. If you are not a Christian yet, be free. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Confess the greatest name that you will ever confess and who he is. And begin to be a part of the Lord's body and, and claim this eternal life that is given to you freely. And let's all go, church, to the city. Even though we know it's going to happen to us, we'll go anyway. And it will be joyful. What an amazing thing it is to experience God's love. And just as amazing it is to give it to our neighbor. Whatever you may need, please come this morning as we stand and sing.